to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And with us this week is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. Yeah, okay. He confirmed it. Also with us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hello! Joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I couldn't trust it on the first episode, but now that he's back for a second one, I know it's not just a mirage. We have Glenn. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's going to be our new slogan to say that podcast, we have Glenn. <laughs> 100% more Glenn than competing podcasts. <laughs> That's right. Now, however, speaking of competing ideas, I'm forced to declare an intellectual property emergency. Ooh. What? Which was the title Does of somebody the... owe us money? Hopefully. As many of you may be aware, a few uh, episodes uh, back. I, I, I'm sorry, just before you get into that, Matt, when you say intellectual property, does, does that refer to like when you're imagining real estate in your mind? No, it's like <laughs> libraries and stuff. It's like property that's just for really kind of upscale purposes. Got it. Opera houses and the like. Right, right. Do you have to have a monocle when you're on the premises of these property? Yeah, you have to have two yeah. monocles, which seems weird. You're like, I why don't I just put on glasses, but they won't let you do that. It's not fancy enough. White tie, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, it's the least popular show on HGTV is intellectual property. <laughs> <laughs> like, can we get some shiplap or something? No, it's all granite. It's always all granite. And you know, it's kind of like that for 30 minutes. Um, but the thing is, many of you may realize that... Uh, may know that you know a few weeks ago we we caught on to the idea of getting on the christian version of tiktok we wanted to you know we were talking about you know the old ways you used to have the christian version of the bookstore and whatnot and can we do that with tiktok we came up with the idea of his flock because um like everyone else in the world uh the coronavirus lockdown is slowly melting my brain uh i made a video trailer for it which you can find on our various uh social medias and then we sat down two weeks ago to record back-to-back episodes, which is the way we record our schedule, just so we can all get in, uh, together at the same time. And uh, the day after we did that recording, on a Monday, uh, Kanye West tweeted out that he was, thought he should create something he called Jesus Talk. Yeah. Because he liked uh. the TikTok uh, app, but didn't really think the content was enough. And my question of many is, is that enough for us to sue? Well, uh, first of all, I think we're we're on record of of wanting and intending to be extremely litigious, but then not quite knowing there's a lot of ins and outs, you know. None of us are really paperwork guys, which really gets in the way. Yeah. There are actual lawyers who listen to the show. That can't be true. That's got it. That's got to get you disbarred if they find this on your phone. <laughs> also, also, if you if you were to do like a deep dive into, you know, Matt's Pro Tools recording timestamp with 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 Yee's tweet timestamp, could we? I mean, I think we could prove in court with our with our uh, lawyer listeners that we got out in front on this whole business. I think we could. The the part that I'm worried about is um, with the negotiation, because, you know, the the idea of a nuisance lawsuit is you, the the company or whatever, you kick it up and there's just 
a dollar figure that's so little to them, it's worth just paying it out as opposed to doing that. And I'm worried that Jed's going to sell us all out for like one of those $400 hip hop (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts. But here's the thing, fellas, is, you know, we we made up, or, or Matt specifically made up his flock because we thought that was such a completely insane idea no sane and normal person would come out and just say the same thing. Well, we could still be right. <laughs> well, so well, that's, you know, I mean, I don't know the situation, but you know what I mean? We, 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 we come up with all kinds of wacky hijinks that turn out to be like already happening or about to happen. Uh, so, uh, Here's my question is, do we need to go back in the catalog and start copywriting all kinds of stuff we've already done? Ooh. Oh. All the way up to time travel robots? Well, I think it's, you know, the time traveling robots. I mean, is is somebody right now writing their own pirate bootleg Palpatine Jed skit? You know what I mean? Like, I I strongly assume so. I mean, some kind of a fan fiction kind of just thing. Just a multiverse Jed thing where there's yeah. just 17 Jeds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's the thing I know is that because of the way that our, our uh, podcast hosting works, at the bottom of the website, if you go to the Podbean site, it all says, because I had to put my name on it, copyright Matthew King, but that can't be legally binding. <laughs> That's like going into court with something written on a napkin. Yeah. Here here's what I'm concerned about. I'll give me two two issues that this brings up to me. One is as as Glenn points out, you know, we thought that the way you, you kind of come up in this whole thing is you you got to zag whenever yeah. else is going one way, you go the other and we thought, well, you know, everyone else is very serious and the world is you know, Christian world anything comes to my taste itself a little too seriously. So we'll occupy the kind of wacky court jester type role and sell these outlandish things. And that'll be, that'll be our little niche. Has reality become so insane that we have to start being serious? Oh, it's certainly within striking distance of that. That's concerning. We, we might be both the sanest and the straightest white Christian men in America (laughs) at this point. (laughs) And that's shocking because I think we started near the bottom. (laughs) <laughs> so you know speaking of uh unpopular uh hip-hop songs started from the bottom and we should still be at the bottom but the rest of you fell so far that now we're here <laughs> that's right well there's another shocking development i think we need to get on here and it may relate to time travel oh, okay. uh, as i'm often focused on on this podcast you're the real doc brown of this podcast <laughs> thank you perfect Morning. Perfect. Yeah. Here's what I'm saying. Uh, Matt spoke it, and then it came into being. Wow. Right. Oh, that's a concerning, concerning it's a, it's a precedence. Paradox. Yeah. I think what we're looking at here is, is there, and stay with me, fellas. Okay. Is there a future Matt? Dude. I hope so. You, you see what I'm <laughs> Step one. I hope that's true. Uh, see, there's, there's, there's a, the, this is, this podcast beamed in the future. We know that. Fair enough. But so what happens is there's a, a, a time traveling Matt in the future 
that figures out what, and then he makes it happen and is trying to send a message to us through the working out of the, you know, you see what I'm saying? This explains a lot of things, actually. It explains why Matt has the wittiest comebacks so fast that you're like, how does a brain process things that fast? It also explains why when other people are super dramatic and freaking out, Matt's halfway asleep. Right. Yeah. You know? There are other things that explain that, but they're mainly personality (laughs) disorders, so I like this one. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about a Groundhog Day situation here. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Well, I do like is, if future, if future, if future Matt is communicating to present Matt, and then that explains so many things. I also want to just see him in a Mission USA staff meeting, just knock a cup of coffee out of someone's <laughs> hand, a la future Dwight sending the facts to present <laughs> Dwight. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. the thing about it, the thing about this whole concoction that makes sense to me. Is that if I had, if I did in the future crack the code of time traveling, I would manage to do something with it that would not materially profit us in any way. It would just be like mildly amusing. Like, would you bring back any like stock tips or tell us one of the Super Bowl? Like, nah. nah, I just saw this funny thing Kanye did on Twitter and figured we'd do it a month before. Super Bowl, that's a good idea. You're making a good point, which is that future Matt might be quite a bit of a slacker. I mean, <laughs> past what and present he, Matt certainly are. Well, I mean, well, okay. So you know, he doesn't seem to be up to much. So we need to send a message now to future Matt of what he needs to get on to, to make to, us to, money. Yeah, be, beam it into the past so that we can, uh, you know what I mean, have that sweet cash. Can you also send that message to my parents so they finally give up hope <laughs> that any version of Matt will not be a slacker? Can you also, like, look, here's my thing. Even if future Matt can't, like, you know, get on the ball enough to actually make us money, could he at least get us more baked goods? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah at, the, at the very least. Some sort of future baking technology. <laughs> You know, like you just pull pull a thing and it and it expands into a donut. Kind of yeah. a replicator situation. Future yeah. cookies. Future <laughs> cookies. I need it. I need to be eating future cookies right now. Stat. We're talking yeah. about the dipping dots of cookies. Yes. <laughs> the cookies <laughs> of tomorrow today. Look, that's we just, we just invented it. Future Matt already, you know, has ha- has time to work on it, so it's bound to happen now. Send it back, future Matt. Yeah, future somewhere Matt. in the in the year four thousand, there's a Matt who's got the recipe for the future cookies. Is looking at it and going like, "Yeah, I'll just get some, just get some Oreos on the way home." <laughs> Oreos remain unchanged in the year four thousand. Uh, by the way, <laughs> but look, future Matt, if you're listening to this, take a knee, buddy. I uh, just want to take some time and. Uh, up with you, it, you know. It's I, I know it's uh, confusing being in the future, and you've got the 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 silvery jumpsuit that everyone wears in the future. Such and, the shoulders are so big and the V neck so deep. That's right. <laughs> and uh, you know, so that you know, you're 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 in your flying car, and it's a whole thing. But uh, here's the deal: is uh, those of us living in the past, I don't know if you remember 2020. 
but uh, 2020 uh, sucked ass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And I'm going to allow that, it for accuracy. I think that might make it past the censors because, man, was it true. Um, wow. Uh, you know, like Balaam's ride, you know. Sure. As we'll get into later oh, in the episode, God. obscenity is in the eye of the beholder, but truth is truth. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so my freaking ears. So, 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 future Matt, please, um, you know, if ever we needed, uh, uh, you know, some form of assistance, it's now. That was Glenn's Princess Leia impression into R two D two, right there. That's exactly right. That's if they'd let Carrie Fisher write the dialogue of the Princess Leia (laughs) Leia scene, it would have come out a lot more like that. Alderaan. It sucks. A rosier future <laughs> for us all. And never has there been a time better to declare emergency off, both because we've clearly hit a limit and no one's going to say anything funnier than that. So emergency <laughs> off we shall. Oh, gosh. I'll tell I, you desperately what. Tr- I desperately tried to think of a non-vulgar version of that, and that's as good <laughs> as I could do. Yeah. If, that's, if you, that's for real. If you've got a non-vulgar way to describe 2020, I don't think you're you're really getting the the detail in the in the you're not really using the language to its greatest capacity one might say uh, another our, another thing where we try to use uh the language to its greatest capacity is with bridge box and our sermons Ooh. bible studies songs we, we want to help encourage you we want to lift you up and this all this month we're talking about getting back up again uh so that's our september topic we hope you will join us over at missionusa.com slash bridgebox chip in eight dollars a month a great way to support the show and the work we do. You can also join us every Tuesday at 7.30 Central Time at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago for our Bridge live cast. We're having a lot of fun over there, having a lot of fun interacting with people in the chat. And if you can't join us live, you can find every episode we've done archived along with said Jesus Talk video and a lot of other fun stuff over at the Videos tab at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. We'll jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way in the end, I use some ways you can touch this, or you can just scroll down into your episode description, click one of the links there. The first question comes in anonymously and says, I have a bad past and I just can't accept it. I can't accept that it was me that did all that and destroyed so much. I can ignore the past, but I can't really live with it. I know that's wrong, but I can't see any other way. And a, a really cool question. We, we appreciate the bluntness and the honesty as we ever do. And Lee, where would we start off? Mm. Yeah, I, I'm with Matt on this. Uh, I I really love the note that you're coming in on this, and I'm, and you know, uh, we should take a second to say I, I'm sorry that you're feeling the way that that you're that you do about uh, kind of surveying your own life. It's a tough place to be. It's a difficult place to start. But I would say this, and it may be kind of a weird thing to hear, um, because it's not the way that you're feeling, but. I can promise you it's true, and these other brothers can back me up on this. You are so far ahead of tons of Christians, man. Yeah. Just so far ahead of so many people. There are so, so many people who claim to be spiritually mature who would never, ever admit that they think or say or do bad things. They just want to put out the front that they are righteous and that that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus is... I have been righteous this whole time, and he rewards righteous people, and he likes holy people, and that's what I am, so that's what I'm on. 
Um, when you actually know that you have a past, when you can admit that, when you are comfortable with being honest about who you've been and who you are, you're just way ahead of the game. Like this is actually the kind of the first step into having a relationship with God is admitting I need God in my life. Um, I, I haven't been enough on my own. And in fact, I've been pretty disappointed with, with who I naturally am. That's where all of us start. And <clears throat> let me say this out loud, just in case there's any confusion. There is no relationship with God for someone who's unwilling to admit that they have a past. There's no such thing as that. If you, if you are in any way uncomfortable with the idea that you have a past um, or that you are a sinner or something like that, you don't have a relationship with God uh, because that's where, that's where everything begins. Now, of course, the next step is getting to the place where you're able to accept that in spite of your past, that God is a God who loves you. Not only that he loves you, but he loves you enough to take all of your blame for you, to switch test papers and to say, you take my score, I'm going to take yours, that he would take his, take your blame for you. And then not only pay for it, but throw it into a sea of forgetfulness so that it would be gone forever. One thing that can be a weird thing for somebody that is looking at the story of their own past and just like, how could anybody be as bad as me? And one thing I should say on this is um, those of us who have been willing to take an honest look at our own self and our own past in the mirror feel that same way. How could anybody be as bad as me? The guy that wrote most of the New Testament called himself the chief of sinners. And that's a cool thing to realize that, that the, yeah. the guy that wrote most of the New Testament would see himself that same exact way. Let me suggest one little thing to get you started towards this path which is this, and this might be a weird thing to think of, but I would encourage you to take um, a daily five-minute thought vacation. Just carve out a, a space in your day where you can take five minutes, take a vacation from whatever else you're doing, and try this thought experiment. What if you could have a completely clean slate, a perfectly peaceful, loving relationship with God, where you have a guarantee that you, like, the, the memory of the things that you've done has been completely, justly covered, paid for, settled, and will never be brought up again, ever. For, from here to eternity, it will never be brought up. You are completely clean slate. Uh, nobody's, the Lord is never going to hold it over your head. You get to have that relationship with God. now. In the middle of that, starting that thought vacation, what would you do? What would life be like? What would you say to him? How would you act? What would that make you feel like? Like, take a few minutes and just live in that world for a second. Then you can come back to your own world where you're wondering, how do I, you know, how do I make up for the things that I've done? Or how could I have been so bad or whatever? But in that in those five minutes, in that thought vacation, what if that's the most delicious, like, conceptual reality that you've ever imagined? What we want to do is to promise you that that's the good news of the message of Jesus. And I just want you to start thinking about it, because I think that the idea of it is going to become so attractive that you're going to want that. 
The cool thing is you can step into that reality whenever you want to, but I promise you that where you are right now is 10 miles ahead of every single person who's called themselves a Christian, but think that's based on somehow that they are a holy or righteous person and is not willing to be as honest as you are, which right now is a great place to start. It is an excellent place to start, and Lee did a great job uh, covering that. And Jed, let me get you to pick us up here, because I think um, Lee is absolutely right that uh, the the fantasy for all of us, all which is all of us who have a lot of things we didn't we don't like about our past that we did that we may not like, is the idea of what I need is just less of that. I need to acknowledge less of it, think of less of it. Yeah. But maybe counterintuitively, we need to understand and look at more of our past. Yeah. in order to help us find some acceptance, right? No, I think that's absolutely true. So, um, A, I'm, I'm sorry for the struggle that you're having, and, and we love you, we stand with you, we're praying for you. Part of working in prison ministry is you have a lot of conversations that center around the idea of, I cannot make peace with my past. And the the thing that runs through so many of those conversations is the idea of, Look, I've hurt people. So, you know, right. how is that ever going to be okay? There's a phrase in recovery circles that you may have heard before, and that phrase is hurting people hurt people. Mm. Again, one more time hurting people hurt people. So, if in your past, if you've hurt people, and, and you may have, I wasn't there, um, and, and if you have it, it makes sense that you would feel like you're having difficulty making peace with that. The odds are very, very high that other people have hurt you. And so all of the hurt that you inflicted on others, that, that didn't come from nowhere. Like, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who, you know, just woke up one day and said, you know what I need today? I need to wound other people. I've given it a lot of thought and I've tried not wounding people. And now I need to hurt others. That's just not how this stuff works. So I think my question for you is, are you willing to look at, are you willing to consider accepting all of your past? Mm. Not just what you did, but what was done to you. Mm, that's good. Because again, I think the idea that you are just a special kind of monster who for no good reason decided to do evil, terrible things that hurt other people, that doesn't pass the smell test, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's never been true in my experience, and I've been doing this for a while now. And if you can dig it, I think what you may find is that coming to terms with the fact that you've done bad things for a lot of people is easier than coming to terms with the fact that bad things were done to them. Mm. Um, I think for a lot of us, that's the harder pill to swallow. Um, oftentimes, there are people who should have been loving towards us and were not, who are the people who who really deeply wounded us. And we pretty understandably don't want to think about that. Um, and we don't want to get into that, but I think if you want to get to a place of accepting your past, if you want to get to a place of forgiving yourself, which is a good goal, um, I think that's the journey that we need to be on there. There's an old French phrase that says to understand all is to forgive all. And mm. my prediction is that if we could give you a pill that made you totally understand all the things that were done to you in your past, I think you'd find it dramatically easier to accept the bad things that you did. 
Uh, not, and I want to be clear here. That's not the same as saying that you are no longer responsible for them. You, you did what you did. If, you know, if you hurt people, you got to take responsibility for that. There, there may be amends that are appropriate and whatnot, but I think the narrative of what led up to that would make a great deal more sense to you. Um, and would be something that you would be able to have a great deal more peace about. And that's really the thing that we want for you is peace. Um, we do want you to be able to accept yourself. We definitely want you to be able to forgive yourself. We want you to have peace. Um, today, tomorrow, every day, we want you to have peace. In fact, we serve the God of all peace and we believe he wants peace for you as well. We absolutely do. Uh, that was all excellent stuff. And also if Kanye's next album is named special kind of monster, I think we're going to have another (laughs) data point in this whole thing. And that will certainly be something. And Glenn, I think these guys have done such an amazing job getting us all over that steps to work through accepting your past, acknowledging your past. I think one of the maybe mental blocks people can get on is the idea that I have to figure out a hundred percent of how I feel about my past before I can start thinking about present or future. Yeah. And we really need to kind of look at all those in concert, don't we? Well, yes. I mean, Jed's pointing out a really great point that we, we need to, see the whole picture of our past we need to understand it we and we need to learn from it so there has to be some examination of that uh the same might apply when you think about to our future that we need to think about the future plan for things in the future uh you know prepare for things in the future but the funny thing is we can overdo both of those things that is to say i can obsess over a future good thing that hasn't happened yet and i'm just overwhelmed with the desire for it to happen Uh, i can look back at my past and just wallow in shame and guilt and that's not doing anything because i've just over i'm over obsessed with it and that sort of thing so there's a point where it's very good and there's a point where it begins to be very bad so that really kind of begs the question of what percentage of your thought process should be on the past? What percentage of your thought process? And, and, and I mean, when I say what should you be doing, I mean in a Christian sense. Uh, would, would God want you spending more time or less time thinking about your past, more time or less time thinking about the future, And what percentage of your thought process ought to be on, for example, the present? Uh, Because I can point you to a few Bible verses that are really emphasizing the present in Mm -hmm. our thinking. Uh, It's the only part that we can control and do anything about. uh, So that, that makes it a key thing to focus on. In fact, that's the whole point of thinking of the past, as Jed was pointing out, that we learn from it so we can have our present be different from our past. The whole point of thinking about the future is that we make some adjustments today that will put me on a trajectory to be in a different place in the future. So really, it all ought to feed back into the present if we're trying to live a godly life. So I would have you kind of just look at the the pie chart of what's getting the most examination, and I'll bet the present is probably not only the smallest, but but you know, vanishingly small compared to the other mm-hmm. two. Uh, I think um, 
if you focus on your bad, the bad parts of your past, that's the best way I can think of to repeat it. And here's how that works. If you look back into your past and you uh, are wallowing in the shame and the guilt and I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person, look at all the bad things that I did, then how are you going to do good things in the future given that you're such a terrible, awful little worm? If you're a worm, you're bound to just keep on acting like a worm and that's all there is to it. That's different from a conviction from the Holy Spirit that says, you know what, I'm better than this and and I know you know, I, I know this, I knew this was a bad idea, but I, I, I just, you know, I was tired. I was angry. I, I, whatever it was, I was in a weak moment and, and I did something I know is stupid. And, and now I feel like I've, I'm, I'm on a setback here and I got to get back on track. That's, that's what conviction sounds like. Mm. Uh, but the more you focus on your, the bad parts of your past or over-focus on it, perhaps is the right way to put that. That's the, that's the most, effective way of repeating those behaviors. Guilt and shame will drive you uh, to uh, in, in a cycle where it, go, it constantly repeats on itself, and you find yourself going back and doing those things over and over again. Conviction, the kind of stuff that Jet was talking about is wisdom. You know, when you see the whole picture, as he was describing, that's wisdom. When you get wisdom, when you get um, that understanding of what's going on there, that's how you break that cycle, and that's really key. Uh, so I think uh, a big picture, a lack of acceptance will really lead to a lot more problems, so it's worth working on. Absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff from all of these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, this is a follow-up to your question about quote-unquote demonic media a few episodes ago. Does the same stuff you were talking about apply to obscenity? You may be aware that the huge pop hit song right now is controversial. See previous episodes emergency that we're aware of it, but on the record, none of us have listened to it or know what it's about. Um, it is however controversial. A lot of people are yelling about how it is awful and obscene, but it's hard not to notice who is yelling that versus who made the song. What makes something obscene? And uh, Jed, a, a very cool question, and we we also joked in a previous emergency about living through the 80s and 90s all over again, and Tipper Gore, that's your music, because we're talking about <laughs> what makes something obscene. Uh, so, but it, it's really, I think it's a really good question. It's really cool to hear people kind of thinking through these things when, that have such a big reaction. So where would we start? It's a great question, and we always love follow-up questions, so we're really glad you wrote in. Let's start with the with this most simple part, and in, in a lot of ways, the most important part. You are allowed to not like things. Mm-hmm. Like, you're allowed to just yeah. have preferences and have things that you don't like. For example, the musician Meatloaf is absolutely my least favorite music in the world. I just cannot stand his music. But here's the key thing. I don't have to call it demonic. I don't have to call it obscene. I'm allowed to just not like it. Which is good because I really don't like meatloaf. It's really not my jam. <laughs> I don't know. Like that out all. of hell sounds like some kind of Satan vampire to me, which is double evil. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've noted that you are allowed to just not like things, I mean, that that is just a human freedom that you have. Again, you don't have to call them demonic or obscene. You can just assert, I don't like this thing. You asked what makes something obscene, and it turns out that defining obscenity is very, very difficult to do. Um, that's actually a, a 
legally murky area because, of course, uh, in the United States, obscenity is not protected speech. So it kind of matters uh, legally if something is obscene. Um, and it's actually pretty hard to define. But let's look at this question from a slightly different perspective. And, and I think it's something that you pointed to, which is I went and read the full lyrics of the song in question. And sure, it's very sexually explicit, but here's the interesting thing. There's basically no difference between what's described in the song and what goes on in the prestige television shows that Christians watch. Oh. It's funny, that. And I'm not saying that with any sense of judgment. Uh, To be be honest, it's it's up to you what you watch. It's up to you what you listen to. But the difference between what's being described in that song and for example what goes on in game of thrones is basically zero um also there's definitely zero difference between the song and just porn which by the numbers everyone in the world watches so there's that so i think it's i think there's a lot that that can be said about that but but i think one thing that is worth asking and and this is really important is are you expecting other people to be ashamed of their sexuality and then being offended when they're not? Right. Mm. Be- and there's a lot of reasons why that would not be a good idea, but, but here's the first one. And we've talked about this on this show before, and it bears repeating. It's not okay to expect people who are not Christians to abide by Christian ethics. Say that, dude. Right. I will. It is not okay to expect or insist that people who are not Christians abide by Christian ethics. And particularly, and this really, really needs to be said, particularly not by your specific flavor of Christian ethics. Mm. If there were ever a time where mainline Protestant white suburban churches in the United States had no credibility, it would be right now. Come on, man. If there were ever a time to not insist that other people have to play by your rules, man, would it be right now? What would the complete lack of credibility? And that's worth noting because in this case, there there are two more details that are really relevant. The first is if if you were raised in, if you if you go to, if you are involved in the largely white suburban evangelical American church, you have been taught incredibly messed up stuff about sex. Yeah, you have been offered to have a huge hang up about sex. Whether you have one or not, I don't know. That's that's up for you to figure out. But I can tell you that you've been told just a raft of things that are designed to give you a complex about sex and about your own sexuality. That is for sure, because there are, before they ceased to exist, Christian bookstores, half of the content in them were things designed to make sure young people didn't have sex, and you were young once and you were exposed to those ideas. So you've you've been taught some really messed up stuff about sex from the church. And it's worth noting, and I think this would be an interesting experiment for you, go and read Song of Solomon. It's literally in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. And then note how little difference there is, other than just kind of the type of poetry, how little difference there is in the acts being described between Song of Solomon and the song that you're not sure if you should find obscene or not. Because I promise you, 
there's very, very little difference in the action being described. And should be noted, there are things that are so explicit that our English language translators have refused to translate them from the direct words of the Hebrew poetry. Interesting that. And that leads to the final two things I'll kick to these other two brothers. It is certainly fine to say that there are um, mature topics that, for example, children or young teenagers are not ready to hear about, and so this is not something for them. Sure, if you're a parent, that's, that's your right. That's your prerogative. makes total sense. And again, you, to take us back to where we started, you're allowed to just not like something. So it's just not my aesthetic preference. It's just not my jam. Um, that's, that's fine. But we do not need to get into casting aspersions and calling things demonic and calling things obscene as a way of covering over things that either we don't like or that we aren't comfortable with. Absolutely right. I think that's, that's the perfect place to start that off. That is all absolutely spot on. And Glenn, uh, what would you add to that? Well, I, I agree with Chad 100% that being offended by sex isn't Christian. At all. <laughs> uh, really at all. Uh, you, we, we, need to, we need to start over on every level, if, if that's what you're thinking uh, on that. Uh, you, you know, here's another thing that I think needs to be said. Um, if uh, uh, an African-American young woman wants to write a song about her own body, I'm really, really not sure what an older uh, white male who is not of this generation ought to be saying about it at all. And that's like not only my take, but it's maybe a good take for a lot of other older white male people listening to this uh you know i think it, i think we have a lot of problems that aren't recognized in sort of cross-generation and cross-cultural judgments like this i remember um uh, talking to my dad years and years and years ago when i was, when I was a kid about um the music that i liked and you know uh some of me thought it was okay but there was there you know it's like all these guys with long hair like girls and they smoke pot and all they do is talk about drugs and it's just that's just you need to you need to listen to real music and he's we're riding in his pickup truck this is in texas where i grew up and he's turning on his radio which is only set to the country station it does it doesn't leave that station and he turns it on and his favorite musician of all time like everyone else was you know optional his favorite of all time willie nelson comes on this is a person <laughs> with long hair who smokes pot and the the actual like lyrics that that came out of his mouth was whiskey river take my mind yeah <laughs> So uh, there was a moment of supreme triumph, you know, but, you know, my dad wanted to say, yeah, but it's like coming from a different place. I'm like, yeah, no, no, I, you know, it's just to you. It is, you know, to you, it's just, you know, allegorical and, 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 you know, artistic and whatever else. And my thing is dangerous and what have you. Uh, but that's a matter of perspective, and I think it's important for us to recognize that that it, it, you're really getting into dangerous territory when you're you're commenting on something that that you don't fundamentally understand. It's not of your culture, so I, I think there's a problem with that. It, and 
I, I think part of, you know, you're asking about what is obscene, and I think maybe it's worth, I, I mean, understand me now. Uh, I, I'm a person who can be uh, uh, occasionally a little bit blue, as they say. You know, a little bit, I can make a naughty comment occasionally. This is, really? This is part of <laughs> part of my makeup. <laughs> And so, you know, I certainly I don't have the right to judge anybody on that. If you've ever t- told an off-color joke or laughed at one, maybe you need to put yourself in some perspective on that. But, you know, looking at obscene versus non-obscene, I think part of what Jeb was illustrating there as well is that's going to end up being subjective. That's going to end up being a little tough to nail down. So let's look at look at a different measure, which is, is this piece of art or music or sculpture or poetry, whatever I'm looking at, is it just being provocative in a certain sort of way? And a lot of artists, that's their whole goal is I just want to provoke opinion and get people talking. And I want to get clicks and likes and and all those kinds of things. And that's a valid way of living your life. If that's the kind of artist you want to be, but I don't think that, um, generally speaking, that's going to do much for any of us. I mean, we're not going to get an inspiration out of that. And I think in, inspiration really is important. And re- inspiration can come from all sorts of different areas and different ways. And it works different for everybody else. So this is an actual true thing uh, for a, a period of probably, I don't know, uh, eight months or, or so. Uh, a couple of years ago, for whatever reason, when I was driving to the bridge and I was preaching on that particular night, I just needed to hear the ACDC song Back in Black at full volume. And I would just, that, I, that would just get me pumped up. It was, it was inspiring in a certain, certain kind of odd way. It's not the lyrics really exactly, it's, but it's just the vibe and the tone of the song it would get me pumped up. And that would help me preach. Uh, it's it's a weird uh, thing. I'm a weird guy. Uh, don't judge me on what inspires me. I won't judge you on what inspires you. Yeah, that's all excellent, excellent stuff there. And Lee, where do we close this out? I- I'm going to come right in on the tales of where Glenn left off. Uh, etymologically, like the just the uh, the kind of history of where words come from. The word obscene basically means. Uh, it basically means offensive. It has some kind of granular um, nuance on why it came to mean offensive, but it, it basically means offensive. And and when we look at something like that, that means we're looking at a moving target. It's a subjective thing. Just as these guys are saying, I completely agree with everything that these guys landed on. What we know is that trends change, cultural norms change, everything that, that people deem as acceptable changes. And that's different for every single person as well. I remember being a kid and watching, uh, and you guys will remember this, uh, TGIF, the programming oh, that came course. on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a TV show, uh, like a family sitcom uh, called Just the Ten of Us. Huh. And it was a, uh, this, was a, this was a guy that was a, I believe he was a basketball coach at like a Catholic uh, high school. And they, he and his wife had eight children. So the, the show was called Just the Ten of Us. And I remember it was the first time that I ever heard a certain curse word on television. 
And uh, just a, a very specific word. It was the first time I ever heard it deployed. I later found out it was the first time that it ever happened on primetime television was on this episode of Just the Ten of Us on TGIF. Mm. You know, it was mm. like, you know, so like 28 minutes before a Full House came on, this word was deployed into the American consciousness. Now, the thing about that was I had already heard every word in my <laughs> elementary school cafeteria. Yeah. <laughs> all of the words. Uh, I have never learned a new word that I had not already heard <laughs> in elementary school. Um, <clears throat> all of these things shift and change. I think a huge key for us as believers on this question is to think about Romans chapter 14. For those of you who are maybe unfamiliar or haven't cracked up in Romans 14 in a while, Basically, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14 is, let's none of us judge each other on disputable matters. That's literally Mm -hmm. the phrase is disputable matters. He says every single person basically has an individual relationship with the Lord Jesus. This is a throwback to our last episode, but it's an important one. Everybody has an individual relationship with the Lord Jesus. And he says a really cool thing. The Lord is able to make them stand. That's a fantastic statement. I mean, that's as freeing and as cool as almost anything that's in the New Testament. Every single person who has a relationship with the Lord Jesus has a fingerprint unique relationship with him. And here's the cool thing. He's the one who makes that thing go. Here's what's really cool about that. I'm not responsible for Glenn's relationship with Jesus, like, at all. Right. And Jed is not responsible for my relationship with Jesus, like, at all. Yep. And Matt is not responsible for his wife Jenna's relationship with Jesus, like, in any way. (laughs) Jesus is able to make every single one of these people stand. What's really great about that is that it makes uh, Paul's next statement really, really move. He says, because of that, don't judge anybody, like, at all. Don't judge anybody on any of these things. We don't want to judge anybody on debatable matters. What that means in this specific case is that it's not, and I want to be real clear about this. This should be super obvious, but we're just going to say it out loud. It's not my job to judge any musical artist about what they produce. And it's not my job to judge the fans of that musical artist on what they enjoy listening to. Period. The end. That's in the Bible. That's what Romans 14 is saying. Um, Because what is offensive is a moving target, and it's subjective, just as these brothers have laid out. Which means, because it's a moving target and it's subjective, it means it is a debatable matter. Because it's a debatable matter, we don't get to judge that. Here's what is not debatable, and this is the most important piece of this whole thing. Meanness is not Mm. debatable in the Bible. Meanness is wrong. I don't get to to judge any musical artist about what they produce, and I don't get to judge anybody about what their preferences are, just as Jeb was laying out. But if I become vocal and mean about what anything, what anybody is doing, I am now the sinner in this situation. It's debatable, as Jeb was laying out, what this 
where this song kind of fits into the ethic, <laughs> into the the kind of mystifying moving target of a of a, a, a you know a, a moral sexual ethic. That's a debatable thing, and you could argue that a million ways from Sunday. If I become mean in judging that, that's not debatable. I am now in the wrong. So let's not judge debatable matters, but let's definitely avoid meanness and judgmental attitudes in every way. The song is debatable. Meanness is not debatable. Amen. That is a great point. That's all fantastic stuff from these guys. Um, I'm not even going to look it up because I don't want to know, but in my mind, there was just a a TGIF sitcom in 1989 that just dropped a huge F bomb on Prime <laughs> it, it, wasn't, TV. it wasn't that one. It and they were like, okay, one. we we'll, we'll rein it in. Never mind. <laughs> we're, we're still figuring this out. We're finding it. But uh, just to add on to all the great stuff these guys have said, it kind of ties right into the meanest thing. I want to talk a little bit about not so much the, the song itself, which I think these guys did a great job covering the idea of obscenity, but then there's the discourse around a thing, which was a big thing with this song. It's a big thing with all this stuff. Um, and that almost always has to do with actually a lot of where Jed started us of someone saying that I don't like that the group of people who either made or are represented by or consume this music are out here doing this where I can see it. As we pointed out, you know, if that's, if that's, you know, being, you know, doing something sexually explicit in in a children's show, that makes sense. There's a sum for that. But there's this idea of the culture is going to hell in a handbasket because this thing was made. Yeah. Which it's easy to get the idea of like, oh, that's just, you know, these same people who say that about everything, getting all fired up. And we can just ignore it. And ignoring it's certainly a healthy, healthy thing. But if we want to understand it and engage with it, we have to look at what exactly is going on there. Because they're not just talking about hip hop being a thing. I, I did just Google it. And Two Live Crew, nasty as they want to be, came out in the year of our Lord, 1989. Yep. Mm. That came out 31 years ago. Nothing in the song in question is nearly as intentionally and over-the-top offensive as that record, which, as Jed points out, obscenity being a legal term, a uh, United States uh, 11th Circuit Court deemed that it was not obscene Uh under the laws of the United States. So there we have that. Did they look at whether or not it was demonic? I am almost sure that Uncle Luke probably would have said it was, whether he meant it to be or not. <laughs> but so I say that. And then the, the other hilarious thing I was thinking of this, uh, which this is actually true. In 1963, the Federal Bureau of Investigation launched an investigation into Louie Louie. Wow. <laughs> mm. You've all heard Louie Louie. You may have heard it on the Disney channel or some such thing, because it's that non-offensive now. But again, was this just, Oh my gosh, they were so uptight that there was this idea that this was gone. No, it was because Louie Louie had a lot of Caribbean and African-American musical influences that the type of people who, uh, seen themselves as guardians of a certain type of culture were very concerned by. And then you get things like the rise of rock and roll and hip hop. There's always this idea that there's a certain type of person who's getting a little too comfortable expressing what's what they're feeling and thinking in a way that, you know, as I put when I was talking about this song with someone, uh, we're going really old with the reverence here. 
Kiss made a song called Love Gun in like the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so it's What's not that, that all about? Yeah, it's not that we're not okay with people making songs about body parts. So what's different about these two people making songs about body parts? Mm. And here's the word that's going to give these people well the time and they do it. They're just being shameless about it. Aha. Uh-huh. Do you want them to be shameful? Because that's yes. not very Christian. So again, if you totally want to say, I think exactly where Jez started us off is exactly right. Of like, like songs, don't like songs. None of this is anything. So just let's all just move on with our life. But if you're looking to understand what's going on here, look at that layer below. Cause there's no such thing as something that someone just finds generally offensive. Yeah. Yeah. There is something, some idea, some concept being offended. And sometimes, and here's the thing I want to say, if there's the people who do it on YouTube or whatever for clicks or go on the radio show and talk about how awful this is, and that's putting an agenda that's doing something to profit. If someone hears this song and is like, man, that is not my jam. Let's turn the station. And just as you have a right not to like things, you also have a right to be offended by whatever you want. But Jed made a very good point in a previous episode that anyone who's famous is working all day, every day to be famous. So in the same way, as soon as someone takes that opinion they have about what they're offended by and makes a blog post or makes a YouTube video, or if their immediate personality makes a tweet, this is no longer them expressing their opinion about what offends them. Yeah. yeah they're on the yeah. job trying to make a statement about culture and about the world and influences yeah. on that. And we have to see things in that way. Cause you know, you say I think we can roll into, am I being, am I doing a reverse judgment and being judgmental of the judgmental people? We're we're talking about judging and concerning different things. If you say, this person made a song, I don't dig it. That's one thing. If you say, this person has an, is expressing a thought about this song that really seems like it exposes some uncool and unhelpful thoughts, it's not judgmental to point that out. It's not judgmental to point that off. That's something we want to consider and we want to understand going forward as we're trying to navigate a world in a pluralistic society And the way Lee's talking about with not passing judgment, not getting caught up on tiny things, and really kind of, as Glenn would put it, major on the majors. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I am totally over the lockdown. Yeah. (laughs) I'm totally over the lockdown. I think not knowing when it will be over is the worst part to me. I know you guys work with people in jail, and I figured they might go through a similar thing with not knowing how long they were going to be in a bad situation. Is that a good analogy? If so, how do they stay sane slash encouraged? And a very, very cool question. And Glenn, you have a long, long experience with prison ministry, and you were also over the lockdown. So you understand <laughs> yeah. all the, the things at play in this question, and where would we kick it off? Well, you're, you're right that uh, for many of the men and women that we work with, uh, there's actually... F- a lot that is unchanged in their life uh, with all this that they are uh, there's there's elements of course that are are worse in certain ways but uh, by and large uh, a lot of them are on lockdown a lot of the time uh, and so it's a good question but I, I think it's important before we dive into this to say uh, when you say you are totally over lockdown. I am totally over lockdown. I am with you on that. 
So are the other people on this show. Uh, It's important for you to recognize, and maybe you need to hear this from a Christian person that you're, you're trying to get some advice from, uh, that we're all hurting. And uh, if someone is trying to fib to you about that, that's not good. We're all trying to put on a brave face. And so that's, uh, that's a bit of a different thing, you know, and I, I want to put on a brave face for you and, and, and I want to encourage you. I want to uplift you. But it's important to recognize that, that I've had struggles with this, uh, the same that as everybody else. And, you know, that's, you have bad, uh, days and, and, and days that aren't so bad. You know, you go through phases of that as maybe is a better way of putting it. But the reality is that, um, it's, it's important for maybe for us to take a moment to recognize this is a once in a century event. This is something that will mark your life for the rest of your life. This is something you'll be telling your grandchildren about. Uh, this is a big honking deal, to use a historical term. And um, if you survive it and you are relatively sane and relatively uh, keep your psyche together, I, I think you'll end up being enormously proud of yourself. And, and the story that you will tell is, you know, I, I, I struggled all the way through it, but man, I made it to the end and, and I didn't completely lose my mind so yay me uh so to but your question really is is how to deal with all that apart from recognizing uh that it's a big deal and you're already doing darn well with it uh is to recognize that fellowship is is the key uh it it, and that's that's sort of always going to be the case it's tough of course when you can't meet in person if you do meet in person, you have to either be outside or be wearing a mask. Uh, it's tough uh, for for me. I uh, Zoom has been one of the worst things that ever happened to, to me because I, I do okay on the phone, but when I got these three guys on on my Zoom right now, and the I have bifocals, so I can never see what's going on. It's three blurry faces. In, in order to focus on it, I have to tilt my head back so that now these three guys are looking directly up my nose. So, you know, it, it's just like, dude, can we just, can we just talk on the phone? I mean, you know what? So you you got all those things that are irritating, making fellowship a, a real, uh, 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 you know, feeling like it kind of kills the buzz, so to speak and whatnot. Push through that, get the fellowship that you need. Um, uh, this, uh, j- just recently here, um, a little over a week ago, uh, I happened to be uh, traveling on the road. That's why I wasn't on the recent recordings here. I was able to uh, meet up with Lee mm. and, uh, yes, he and I uh, did the, the, uh, the, the, uh, Cracker Barrel situation there. And, All day breakfast folks. All yeah. Day breakfast. Let me tell you what, we hit it uh, with a severe vengeance. <laughs> uh, but you know, just having that moment of fellowship and having that time where it was like just sitting and unclenching. And we were saying these same things to each other. Like, you know, I'm getting through it, but it's a struggle. And, you know, we were being honest with each other about that. And, you know, you can leave from that. And certainly I did 
feeling like a hundred pounds has come off of me. So I think let's take the opportunity to, to push through and getting that fellowship. Here's why you're struggling with the idea of that is you feel like you're barely carrying your thing. If somebody you got on the phone with just dumped on you, you just crushed, be, be crushed under the weight of it. Mm-hmm. And then if you vented to them, you would crush them under the weight of that. That's not how fellowship works. The way fellowship works is you both help each other with each other's thing. And there, when two Christians get together, the Lord is in that midst. And that means that paradoxically, those those problems are divided. They're not multiplied when you put them together. Uh, all that adds up to finding balance. That's what we want for you. Uh, the opposite of that balance, uh, the thing the devil is pushing you on right now is uh, microwaving everything and getting you overcooked and trying to do as much as you can, as fast as you can. You should be doing more. You should be doing more. You should be doing more. That's a lie I hear in my head all day, every day. Uh, the The best way to fight that is to find that balance. I think that's a perfect place to start this off. That's a lot of great stuff. And Leah, I'd love you to teach you pick us up there. What other lessons can we learn from people who've been in tough circumstances on this thing? Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I agree with everything that Glenn was saying. And, you know, when you do have that fellowship with folks, it's, it's just such a treasure. I think, uh, it, I, I, I've been surprised by moments that I've had connection with people that have been, um, just more of a gift than I imagined they would be, uh, exponentially almost. And that's been so cool. I can tell you that in, um, in my, my experience with prison ministry is much more limited than the rest of the guys on the podcast, just in the number of years I've been doing it. Um, but, um, but in the years that I have been doing it, um, the things that have been true for those guys have been, um, kind of a, uh, it's been a wealth of experience that I've been able to draw on for myself to walk through this time. Um, and, and, you know, in writing letters to those guys and getting letters back from the guys that we work with at the penitentiary where we do our prison ministry, um, I'm finding that they're, that a lot of their experience is kind of normal business, business as usual, which is these guys are hyper aware of the things that take them out. And they have a lot of intentional strategies to face those things. The folks that are, that, that are growing, the folks that are spiritually healthy, they have a, a, a very high awareness of the things that take them out. They have a very high awareness of the people that the healthy relationships um, around them and the unhealthy relationships around them. And they are extremely intentional about, um, how they spend their time and where they put their energy. Um, the thing that's been helpful for me in the midst of that is that I don't know if like in the kind of comfort of norm, what we kind of call normal life, like pre 2020 pre uh, coronavirus or whatever. I don't know if I was how aware I was of like, um, you know, which things are really helpful for me, which things are not as helpful for me during this time in order to st- kind of stay sane and keep moving through this. Um, a big part of that process for me learning from guys that I know in a penitentiary is being hyper aware of 
moments where I'm being taken out. I was listening recent. This is a this is a spoiler alert. There are some of the folks that listen to this podcast who also listen to a kind of a sister podcast um, called The Water Tower that um, that I produce with the help of of the rest of the guys on this show quite often. Glenn um, uh, provided us with a message that we're going to feature on a future episode where he talks about um, the kind of balance that we need during this time where we're basically sick of this. Um, and, and part of that process is just having an awareness of when am I becoming overwhelmed? The guys that I know who are walking with the Lord beautifully in the midst of uh, being incarcerated are guys who have a hyper awareness of knowing when is something good for me and when is something not good for me. And I need to, I need to make sure that I major on the relationships that are uh, propelling me forward in my walk and knowing which relationships are encouragement and which relationships are ministry. That's, that's a topic that we've talked about on this podcast before, maybe, maybe years and years ago at this point. Um, Matt would know better than me. But being able to classify certain relationships in your life so that I know which ones are going to be the drain and which ones are going to be the encouragement. It's, it's good to have both. It's good to have outreach, and it's good to have input. Um, the, the meeting that Glenn was talking about with the Cracker Barrel, for me, that was like I was just drinking out of a fire hose of encouragement and fun. <laughs> and then other folks that I meet with, um, that's I know going into it, that's going to be a situation where I come out a little more empty because my role in that relationship is to pour out. Guys that I know that are walking with the Lord beautifully uh, who, are, who are inmates, they are hyper aware of that, that balance and that relationship to know which folks am I pouring into and which folks pour into me. Um, the, being aware of what I need and what, um, what fills me up and what drains me, those are big keys in knowing how to successfully walk through a time like this. Well, that's all really, really good stuff. You can drink from a fire hose of encouragement and positivity at Cracker Barrel. You can also drink from a fire hose of gravy. <laughs> that's an option. Butter, too, yeah. That is on the menu. Yep, slathered in butter. There's almost no way to avoid it. And, Jed, I think there's there's one more very important um, thing to add on the great stuff these guys have given us, which when I first started going into uh, prison and kind of work release and kind of those type facilities with, with you and Glenn— it was something I heard so much that I assumed it must have been some kind of prank people were playing on me. And then I realized that it's just that's how much it's needed. And that's the idea of one day at a time. And that is it's uh, when one day bleeds into another in a kind of endless uh, cacophony of time. It's it's something we really need, right? There's no question about it. To, to very briefly get into a little bit of tech talk with with prison ministry, um, particularly in, in Chicago. Um, if you are awaiting trial, it's hugely variable how long you're going to be sitting there. Um, yeah. You know, for, for guys who have been sentenced and whatnot, they, they have some idea what they might be, you know, looking at when they might be going home. But for guys who are awaiting trial, man, that could be a couple weeks. It could literally be several years uh, just and with almost no ability to tell of what that's going to look like. And so those guys really do have a tough situation of just – how, how do you, as you put it in your question, how do I stay sane in the midst of this? How do I stay encouraged in the midst of this? And the big answer, which is one that echoes through the recovery community, but really goes back to Jesus is you're going to have to face this one day at a time. Mm. And I think the interesting thing about that is it is a form of enforced humility because 
all that any of us can ever do is face the day that we're in. That That's actually all any of us are capable of. But when, and I'm about to put this in air quotes, when life is normal, we try and fool ourselves into pretending like we can live in other days too. That we can live now, but we can also live in the future and we're really you know, really, you know, double our, our efforts and whatnot, but no one can actually do that. You can only live in the day that you're in. And for guys who are in Cook County jail and don't know how long they'll be there for folks who are on lockdown and don't know how long it'll last kind of the humility is being put on us because it's pretty hard to avoid. You're going to have to deal with the day that you're in. Um, you probably won't be in this position forever. But you are going to be in it for today, and you're probably going to be in it for tomorrow. So what does that mean? The first thing that it means is I'm not trying um, – you, you said, how do I stay sane and encouraged? I'm not trying to stay sane and encouraged for tomorrow. I'm trying to stay sane and encouraged for today. That's the first thing that it means. And so one of the questions – and this goes right back to something Lee was talking about – is getting in tune with what do I need today to be healthy? What do I need today to, to be in a good place and to stay in a good place? Because what I need today may be different from what I needed yesterday, and it may be different from what I will need tomorrow. And when you're going through a really rough time, I think it's important to give yourself a lot of grace and to recognize that um, you may have days where you actually, you're feeling pretty encouraged, you're feeling pretty good. And you want to be productive and, and, you know, maybe that's, you know, we work with guys behind bars where they've got days they're going to be productive and they're going to work on their GED or they're going to, you know, uh, spend some time in the library and they're, they're working on, on, uh, readings that they're doing and whatnot. Maybe they're working on Bible study, which is great. It's all great stuff. And then you may have another day where like, dude, I can barely get out of bed. Yeah. Um, I, I can barely handle anything. And the good news about taking life one day at a time is you're allowed for those days to be different. And, and your approach to them to be different and your expectations of yourself to be different, um, to, to go back to something Glenn was saying, the idea that you need to be able to write a book about what an amazing job you did in quarantine and you learned five languages and how to make fine French cuisine. And also you manicured your lawn. Like, dude, you, you don't owe that to anybody. You don't owe that to anyone. And I can't imagine that God is asking that of you. Um, also, we don't want to read your book. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, definitely right. not going to because <laughs> this has been a super hard time for me. So, like, if you're living your best life, I'm happy for you, but not really. And don't tell me about it. Um, <laughs> Amen. Deal with the day that you're in. Figure out what you need today. Figure out what you need from the Lord today. One of the cool things about the actual God, as opposed to the one that we've invented, is the actual God knows you have needs specific to the day that you're in and literally wants to give you your daily bread. Um, that's one of the first things that we ask for in the Lord's Prayer is what we need for the day that we're in. And here's the good news, is that if we get in the habit of living well today, that actually builds towards that eventual future where things are different. Um that actually builds a platform for a really cool and really amazing future. That future's not here yet, and we don't need to be worried about it. It's, you know, and worrying isn't going to make it come faster, but it is a process of investing that will, that will pay off not only today, but it actually will pay off as well in the future when we're, whenever that next step and that next stage begins. Yeah. 
That's all fantastic stuff from all of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com if you want to keep that completely anonymous. You can, of course, join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time yes. over at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago for our live bridgecast. And you have the song this week. This is a remix that some very, very talented friends did of Jed's song for good reasons. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Attention future Matt, put down the hoverboard and self-drying jacket and focus. Get to work now on vaccine cookie technology. (laughs) (laughs) I got four good reasons to believe from the scars on his hands to the scars on his face. I got four good reasons to believe from the scars on his hands to the scars on his face. One, Jesus loves me. Two, Jesus loves me. Three, Jesus loves me. For God so loved me. One, Jesus loves me. Two, Jesus loves me. Three, Jesus loves me. For God so loved me. Jesus loves me. Three. Jesus loves me. For God's sake.